Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension in Macomb, Illinois. And we have a jammed packed show for you today, folks. We are going to be joined by an extension specialist. She's an entomologist with specialty crops and assistant professor in crop sciences at the University of Illinois, uh, Dr. Casey Athey. Uh, but before we introduce Casey, we are going to throw it to our hosts. They are here every single week. Katie Parker, local foods educator in Adams County. Hello, Katie. Hello, Chris. How are you doing on this cold day? Um, Katie, I have to apologize that uh that core aerator that you lent to me a few weeks ago is still sitting in my garage unused uh, it's just way too dry and i there is no amount of weight that i can put on that thing to actually do any type of uh like core aerating in my ground so i'm sorry yeah i completely understand it's very dry but I did read your article this past week, and I had to laugh when you questioned whether you're going to put the kids on it because <laughs> we did end up resort to that. Although it wasn't kids, it was myself. <laughs> well, you, you got to do what you got to do, right? And right, uh, yeah, yeah. I as, as I wrote in the article, the, the flashing lights of an ambulance and an ER visit quickly pushed that thought from my head so I said nope not worth it yep. not worth it no I know you kids could add maybe another hundred pounds but no it's not going to happen so and of course we are joined by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville hey Ken hello Chris and Katie and speaking of your article Chris I think you should have written that two or three weeks ago because we've gotten some rain now here in Jacksonville you see I knew as soon as I posted that it would start raining so that's why I did it so, so thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> we, we still haven't gotten any here in Macomb, but um, you know, I'm glad I could help out down in Jacksonville. Well, Ken, Katie, I'm wondering, do either of you suffer from arachnophobia? I do not, but I have a sister that does. Hmm. They're not my favorite, um, but I have been trying to let them live. Trying to let them live. <laughs> I mean, like, I'll pick them up. Um, and throw them, uh-huh. <laughs> but I don't like walking into rooms with cobwebs. <laughs> well, just to your delight then, Katie, we have got quite the topic today. We're going to be talking about spiders for most of the program because, you know, I don't, I think pretty much anywhere you go here in the Midwest, inside, outside, basement, attic, you're probably going to run into a spider web and maybe see a spider or two. So we have Dr. Casey Athey here on the show. Um, Dr. Athey, welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, um, Dr. Athey, thank you very much for being on the show um, and stopping by to talk about spiders. Um, but I kind of want to get to know a little bit about your background. Um, you mentioned being a, a specialty crops entomologist. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that part of the job. Yeah, so I am in charge of pretty much all specialty crops here in the state, and we I just deal with whatever pest problems the growers may have. Um, in my research so far, I've worked in squash and melon and apples, so I have I have a little bit of variety. Um, I have been talking to some growers in the state so far about some of the issues they're having. Uh, specifically in tomatoes uh, and peppers and high tunnels. And so it's just a really varied uh, job, if you will. Now, I have judged several 4-H 
um, uh, general shows in the entomology section. And the kids who enroll in these entomology projects are, they have this fascination with insects and they, they're like an encyclopedia of knowledge. They really dive into this world. Uh, Casey, is this what is, was this kind of what it was like for you growing up? Did you always have an interest in uh, insects? So, yeah, I did. You know, I, I didn't actually do 4-H, which is kind of odd because I grew up in Nebraska and, you know, there's a lot of uh, 4-H activity, but I did always like bugs. And my sister and I used to collect like box elder bugs and lady beetles and put them in jars. They never went, it never ended well for us because we actually didn't really know what to feed them. Um, and so when I was a kid, I pretty much just observed insects in the natural world, if you will, and was always kind of interested in them. But I didn't have that kind of childhood where I was the wealth of knowledge a lot of these younger kids involved in 4-H are. Um, I really didn't get into that kind of knowledge until I was in high school. And I had a teacher in high school that assigned us an insect collection as part of a class. And that really opened my eyes up to what the diversity of insects, even a tiny portion of the diversity, actually was. And I would say up until that point, I really didn't have any idea how diverse insects were. And that's, I think I would say that was what got me started with sort of the passion for insects um, that I still have now. And so did you study uh, at University of Nebraska? So I went to the University of Nebraska at Omaha, one of the satellite campuses. Mm -hmm. And so there isn't an entomology department there. But when I went to the university, there was a lab that did insect research. And so the first chance I got to work with her, I became a technician in her lab. She worked on uh, burying beetles, which are <laughs> kind of gross. Uh, they're beetles that lay their eggs in carcasses. And so I actually had to take care of the bearing beetle colony. And if that wasn't, if that didn't turn me off to insects, I definitely knew that that's what I wanted to do because part of the job is they use little animal carcasses to rear the beetles. And so it's, you know, kind of gross as you might expect. And I still knew I wanted to work on insects even working in that lab um, as an undergrad. I probably should mention that I did all of my graduate work at the University of Kentucky so I was there for a long time, and that's where my interest in spiders kind of happened because I did some projects on spiders. And then before I got here, I was in Washington State. So, Casey, it seems like we see more spiders in the fall. Is there a reason for this? So that's an interesting question, and it seems like this is mostly by accident, by accident on the part of the spiders, I mean. So spiders don't really overwinter in structures. So the outside spiders are meant to live outside and our inside spiders are meant to live inside and the outside spiders in the fall tend to wander into the house accidentally. Um, and I will say for my part, I don't generally notice more spiders in the fall, but that's probably because I'm noticing spiders all the time. And so that I'm always on the lookout for spiders. So maybe that's not a fair comparison. And I will say that the one thing you can kind of do to prevent this is just make sure your house doesn't have a lot of cracks that things like wolf spiders might wander in. 
through. So if your house is really well sealed, you might prevent a little bit of this fall insect or fall spider uh, invading, if you will. But the other thing I should mention is that once the spiders get in your house, if they're meant to be outside spiders, they don't really survive long in your house because they can't, that's not where they're supposed to be, that's not where their food is, so they don't do well once they've entered your home. So I guess if we, we think about spiders and insects, I think there was there was an aha moment for me uh, back when I you know started in, in horticulture and we started learning about invertebrates and insects, and then someone's like, oh, spiders aren't insects, and I was like, what? Um, and so... Uh, Casey, I sent you a picture actually before the show. So what my three-year-old, he really wants to be a spider, like, like spider for Halloween. Um, and he, he showed me the picture that he wants to be. He said, I want that. And I sent you that, that picture, Casey. And I'm like, this is not correct. So can you explain the difference between a, a spider and an insect? Yeah. Yeah. So spiders, as you, as you said, definitely aren't insects. Um, and I think the most notable difference, if you just see a spider and an insect, is the number of legs. So all insects that have legs have, all uh, insects that have legs have six legs. Um, and all spiders have eight legs. There's really no exceptions to this. Um, and so that's the, the easiest way to tell. And actually all arachnids, so spiders are arachnids and things like um, mites, scorpions, um, and uh, the daddy long legs harvestmen, those are also uh, arachnids. They all have eight legs. Um, then the other thing that spiders do not have, that insects have, is they do not have antennae. Um, now, sometimes people will talk about the body segment number. So all insects have three body segments. Spiders have two. Other arachnids like mites and daddy long legs only have one, but they do not have three. So that's also a, a insect trait that spiders differ uh, on that as well. But really, it's the leg thing. If it has eight legs, it's not an insect. Yeah, I saw that costume and it, it, it had antennae and I'm like, no. No way uh -huh. are you good at going out of the house in that thing, young man. So um... <laughs> that is correct. You can't let him go with that with the antennae on that costume. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cut those off before you leave the house. <laughs> Another thing I'll mention for insects and spiders, despite what you may see on Facebook, spiders don't have wings either. Yeah, that is crazy. I did not know that was even a thing that people thought. You know that 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 spiders could have wings. Um, no arachnids have wings um, at all. Uh, if you see a spider, if somebody shows you a picture of a spider with wings, yeah, it's it's photoshopped. That or you're going to be a very rich person. I will say that it is not ridiculous to suggest that spiders can fly. And what I mean by that is that baby spiders that are called spiderlings they do something called ballooning, which means they shoot a little string of web out and it catches the wind and they go. Um, which means that people have found spiders up kind of in the upper atmosphere because they get blown way too high up. Um, and that is how they can colonize new um, fields or whatever else. 
so they'll take the wind and go. So it's, they, don't, they don't have wings, and they're not really flying, but they are soaring through the air, if you will. So is that how Super, or sorry, Spider-Man gets around? Yes, I believe it is. <laughs> totally makes sense now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a lot of times people kind of associate spiders with being dangerous and, and poisonous or actually venomous. Um, so when it comes to spider bites, what are some of the signs um, somebody should look for if they think they have a spider bite? Uh, such a good question. So as far as bites go, and actually this is true for pretty much all bites or non-bites. So humans, the way that we react to anything, um, a mosquito bite, a spider bite, uh, whatever, bed bug bites, whatever it might be, each person reacts differently. Not to say that there isn't a continu continuum of reaction, but how I might react to it is very different than maybe how you might react to it. And so there's just no way to look at someone's skin that has some kind of lesion and know what it's from. Um, and this is, like I said, true across the board. And what we say as spider researchers, it's kind of a catchphrase, is that spider didn't bite you, you have a staph infection. Now, it's not necessarily a staph infection, but the idea is that people will see something on their skin that looks weird, that they don't recognize, and the automatic go-to is, oh, no, I've gotten bit by a spider. And spider bites are pretty rare, really. Um, and most of the time, if you go to a doctor and you say, I was bit by a spider, a doctor doesn't know what a spider bite will look like, again, for some of the reasons that I've just mentioned. And so they'll just kind of say, okay, and diagnose it that way. Um, and so it's a bad answer in that I don't have an answer for what to look for, but I think what I'd like to emphasize is people aren't getting bit by spiders. It's, it really isn't happening probably very much at all. Um, and if you have some kind of crazy lesion on your skin, you may or may not have some sort of infection from bacteria. It's more likely that it's that or some other insect bite. Uh, and so that's, it can be really hard because you'll often talk to people who are sure they've been bit by a spider, but they never saw a spider. They just saw a thing on their skin. Uh, the ones that have been verified as spider bites, you really are required to have captured the spider and say, okay, well, this is the thing that bit me for us to know kind of what these bites look like. And so there are verified spider bites, but there's not nearly as many as you would think. So I, I've heard um, other entomologists say things, something similar like that, that, you know, if you look at the number of diagnosed spider bites from like a brown recluse or black widow, there are parts of North America, though, that don't even have those populations of spiders in that region. Oh, absolutely. So the, the black widows are actually much more widespread. Um, I, I want to say, and I do not know this for, for sure, but I want to say that there is a black widow species everywhere in the United States. They're kind of ubiquitous. Um, we have, I think, four different, I think four species in the U.S. of the, the black widows. Um, and so some places overlap, you have more than one species. But the brown recluse is the one that that is absolutely true for. There is not a place in the United States that I have traveled and said I was an entomologist with interest in spiders that someone has not told me that they or a friend of theirs got bit by a brown recluse spider. 
And if you look at the map of the brown recluse spiders, so Illinois is actually, we're right in the um, uh, distribution of brown recluse spiders. But basically the entirety of the western half of the United States does not have brown recluse spiders. When I was in Washington, I would have people come up to me and say, I got bit by one of those. Well, you can't because there aren't any within, you know, a thousand miles of here. And it is, it's difficult because most of the time, because whatever happened to them, whatever happened to their skin that caused the crazy lesion or the issues that they had is usually pretty traumatizing. And so they remember that as they should, and they have blamed this spider for it. And it's difficult to convince them that wasn't what it was because again, whatever happened was really difficult or painful. And you know we don't want to minimize that, but it isn't a spider bite especially not in areas like the entire state of Washington doesn't have brown recluses. California doesn't have brown recluses. Um, you know, those sorts of things where people are sure this is what happened to them and it's just not possible for it to have been that spider. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of misinformation out there then. So let's dive into some of these spider myths. And the first one that I remember, I don't know, was it my, my dad to scare me to death as, as a child? He said uh, something like, oh, don't worry, son. Uh, you swallow eight spiders a year or, or something like that while I'm sleeping. So do I, do spiders leap into my mouth when I'm sleeping? Yeah, that's a good question. That's one of those myths we hear a lot. Yeah, it's really, really widespread. And from everything that I can gather, it was wholesale made up. Um, and I don't know how long ago it was made up. I don't know where, you know, it's one of those urban legends. You don't know exactly where it came from, but there's absolutely no truth to it. You do not swallow spiders in your sleep um, at all. Uh, and, you know, you have to think that spiders, a lot of spiders are in webs, so they're not moving around that much. And there are spiders that are hunting at night, sure. And there are spiders that live in your house that are hunting at night. But they very rarely have a reason to, like, come up in your bed. And even if they did, which they don't, by the way, but let's, you know, say that that was what happened, why would they go in a human's mouth? Like, they don't do that. It's not a thing. Um, and some, some of the things I've seen would suggest that it was made up as a thing to put out on the internet to get people sort of the idea that you're supposed to be able to look at things critically and say, well, that isn't something that makes a lot of sense. However, I would argue again, so many people are afraid of spiders that when a scary spider thing shows up, it is not ridiculous that people are like, oh my gosh, this must be true. Um, with arachnophobia being so widespread. I'm not surprised that people are like, oh my gosh, it's even scarier than I thought it was. Um, but no, you do not swallow spiders in your sleep. What about daddy long legs? Some people think that they're the most venomous spider in the world. Is that true? Yeah, so that's one that I had started to hear when I moved to Kentucky, and I've heard it ever since then. So the daddy long legs that we're talking about here are the the ones that aren't actually spiders, they're a different group and they have the one body segment and they got those really long legs and you know, you kind of see them everywhere. And it, there's this myth that they are the most venomous thing in the world, but that their fangs are so small that they can't pierce human skin. Um, and the biggest issue with this is that, so daddy long legs are another arachnid, but they don't actually have any venom. So this is one of those really weird myths because so spiders generally all have venom. There's a few groups of spiders that don't, and their venom is 
for digesting their prey. So that's what they use it for. So if you get bit by a spider and you actually see it and you get some sort of a reaction, that's probably to the venom. But the venom generally, aside from, you know, the few species that we've talked about, black widow and brown recluse in the United States, is not harmful to humans. It's venomous, but not poisonous. But daddy long legs don't actually have venom. So this is a really interesting myth that, again, I don't know where it came from. I think it's another one of those urban legends. Um, they do have fangs. I presume they could bite someone if they wanted to, uh, but they don't. Um, and yeah, so that's, that, one is, that one's odd, too. What about the, the fabled toilet spiders, the spiders hanging underneath your toilet seat waiting for you? Yeah, this is my favorite myth by far. Um, and I think it's my favorite because this one is, I can, I can actually very clearly trace it to the source. Some guy on the internet made this up. And when he made it up, he did a bunch of things to make it clear that it was fake. So he called it the arachneus gluteus, which is just silly. Uh, that literally translates to butt spider, um, which is probably why it's one of my favorite urban legends. Um, but he claimed that this had been published in a journal that didn't exist. He claimed it had been in an airport in Chicago that doesn't exist, called it the like Blair Airport or something. And so then he, he basically circulated the hoax, and it picked up steam. And because people, again, are afraid of spy spiders and the idea of sitting on a toilet and getting bit by a very venomous, um, uh, poisonous thing is scary, it uh, picked up steam. Um, and, you know, you still, people will read that. And it's been a while since I've seen it circulated, but I would say a couple of years ago I saw it circulated again where people were worried about the toilet spiders. But let me reassure everyone, there are no spiders living underneath your toilet seats at all. Uh, so that's not anything you need to worry about. I've also heard that tarantulas are poisonous to humans. So why do people keep these as pets? And how do you not get bit? Yeah, so tarantulas, like other spiders, have venom. But they're, they're, no tarantulas are actually poisonous to humans, which is interesting. Um, now, that's not to say that if you got bit by a tarantula, it would hurt because they're huge. They're very, I mean, they're a big animal. Um, and so in general, the spiders, the tarantulas that people are keeping as pets are the docile tarantulas, if you will, the ones that are very unlikely to bite. And those are the ones that often you can actually hold and if you would like to. Um, but you can get bit by the tarantula, and what's going to happen, because it's a big spider, you're basically going to get a bruise. Um, but you're not going to have any kind of reaction like you would if their venom was harmful to humans, which is kind of crazy because you think about a tarantula being so big, and you would think that that would be really harmful, and they're actually not. But again, that's not to say that some of the ones people, some of the ones in the pet trade are really aggressive. And so you really don't want to handle some of the more aggressive ones, too, um, that some people keep as pets. The prettier ones, like the bright blue ones, those ones are really aggressive and you really can't handle them um, at all. Well, I don't know, Casey, does it get tiresome of, of dispelling myths or do you feel like it's good job security? 
Well, it's, it's kind of good job security, and I like when, if people have heard things and they come to me thinking that I can, you know, answer their questions, and when I dispel a myth, they're like, oh, well, I'm so glad to know the, the truth or whatever, and that's always really nice. Um, and I enjoy spreading that sort of information. And yes, I think myths about spiders uh, will uh, contribute to my job security for a long time because they just keep popping back up. <laughs> well, and new I, ones come up all the time. <laughs> I, I just, I was muted, but I was giggling a lot during the toilet spider part. Um, I think I'm going to promote that myth in my own household because I'm just, <laughs> I am just going to enjoy that too much. I mean, it, it. It really is. It's just my favorite. Um. <laughs> well, uh, in addition to uh, chatting uh, with you, uh, we also do have questions that we solicit from social media, questions that come into our extension office. So, Casey, would you mind helping us answer some of these homeowner questions? Sure. That'd be great. Excellent. Well, our first one comes from Facebook. Uh, in this one, they are asking about spiders in the house. So we already kind of mentioned this. Uh, it's kind of the time of year right now when we start seeing more spiders coming inside. They want to know, does the hedge apple trick work to keep them out of the house? Yeah, so this is something that I remember from my childhood as well. My mom would always buy hedge apples and put them, we had them around the perimeter in, in our basement, all the way around the foundation in the basement. And unfortunately, they're not a deterrent. So there was some research a couple of years back where they were pulling, they were trying to figure out if there was any deterrent properties within the hedge apples. And there's a little bit, but not enough to actually deter insects or spiders. So they don't actually do anything as far as keeping spiders out of the house, unfortunately. Um, and aside from making sure, you know, cracks and gaps and other openings are filled, you know, in your house openings to the outside and making sure your windows and doors close properly to keep the outdoor spiders from wandering into your house. It's really difficult to keep spiders out of your house because there are a lot of species that live in your house exclusively. Um, uh, lots and lots of species actually that can, that really don't live outside, they only live in structures. And so I think that spiders are a thing that we should hopefully individual people can get more used to just having in their house. So I want to throw something out there for people to keep in mind. You know, spiders are predators and they eat other bugs like flies and things. And there really isn't a way to eliminate them completely from your house, even if you spray a bunch of broad spectrum insecticides over and over again. And I would argue that you shouldn't want them out of your house. Um, Arachnophobia is real and widespread, but the spiders in your house are not going to harm you. And aside from the couple of species we've mentioned, spiders are really harmless to humans. Um, so I would encourage people to consider living amongst their spiders instead of trying to get rid of them. If only we could charge them rent. <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, help with income. Um, this is a question from Facebook, uh, and this person is telling us that they try to save their indoor spiders by throwing them outside, but heard that it's not a good practice as the spider will just die. Is there a better way to move spiders? So, 
of kind of like with my answer to the last one. So first of all, that is correct. If you take your indoor spider outside, the indoor spider is going to die because it's supposed to be inside. Um, I liken it to taking a fish out of water and putting it on the land and being like, you'll be fine there. Um, and so I, I love the idea of people not wanting to kill their spiders and wanting to take them outside. I do like that. Um, and I admit sometimes I'm still doing that because uh, it's, you feel like it's at least better if somebody wants the spider out of a structure that it's outside. Um, but much like the other question, I would just love to reframe this and have people see their spiders as good and not as a pest. Because aside from our fear of them, which is very common, they're really not pest species. They're predators that are eating other things you also don't want in your house. So you can always stick them in the basement and delete all the other insects getting oh, in your yeah. house down there. Yeah, it's a good place for them. More like in a storage room. <laughs> all right. Uh, we have a, another question here from Greene County. Um, and we know that wolves like to travel in packs. Uh, do wolf spiders like to travel in pairs or in groups? Yeah, that, that's interesting. So they, they don't specifically travel in pairs, but wolf spiders are really interesting because they engage in parental care. So the mom wolf spider carries her babies around on her back um, for kind of a long time until they are large enough to go out on their own. So often you'll see wolf spiders you know, with a bunch of other spiders on their back and they look way bigger too when that's happening. Um, and so the adults don't travel in packs or in pairs, but a mom will, will travel with her babies for kind of a lot longer than usually insects or spiders do any kind of, of care for their young. Switching away from spiders for a moment, we received a question from McDonough County asking, white flies were really bad at the end of the growing season. Why was that? Are we going to bring them in on our houseplants this fall? Yeah, so that, that's a good question, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not sure why they have been so bad. Uh, one hypothesis I have, just kind of looking at this, is that so white flies are a group that can sometimes outbreak when broad-spectrum insecticides are used. And so if there were a lot of insecticides that were sprayed on plants to control other pests, the natural enemies, things like predators and parasitoids of the white flies may have been killed inadvertently. And what happens then is often when that happens, the white fly populations will explode. But if you have plants outside that you're planning on bringing in in the fall and they have white flies on them, you'll absolutely bring the white flies into your house and the white flies will thrive in your house. Um, because white flies are one of those pests that does really well in things like greenhouses. But if you're bringing your plants in, uh, you could then spray them with some insecticides that are properly labeled for white flies for use inside, and that will probably take care of the problem for you because then that's your only pest that you're worried about if, if you want to do something like that. For white flies, you can also spray um, like horticultural oil on the plants too, try to smother the white flies. That might be a good way to, to do it for a plant that you're bringing into your house. All right, and then our last question today comes from Adams County. Um, when this person went camping at night, um, they turned on the red headlamp and they saw all kinds of tiny little eyes shining back at them from their lawn. Um, any ideas as to what uh, these bugs could be? Oh, yes. Yeah, so one of 
my favorite things to do while walking around at night looking for insects and spiders is to look for eye shine. So that's what this is, just like just like it sounds like. So you put your uh, flashlight down and you look eye shine or spiders. So almost exclusively when you see this, you get down close and usually they're wolf spiders that are wandering around on the ground at night. But you'll you you'll note when you do this that there are just tons of them on the ground because there there are a lot of spiders out um, uh, and they yeah can be in your grass or anything else. But yeah, that's what it is. So if you get real close, if you pick out eye shine and you get real close down, it's a spider. I would ask one question that might be helpful to the listeners would be how do you help children get over their fear of spiders? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question too. So I think that I so my oldest son occasionally is a little bit arachnophobic and entomophobic, uh, well, my oldest child. And I think showing kids spiders, pointing out interesting things about them, um, I think just education about what they're doing uh, helps. Uh, it's hard to say exactly why arachnophobia is so widespread, um, and there's not really a good explanation for it, but I think that exposing children from a young age to insects and spiders and not telling them to be scared is helpful. And don't show, if you have a bit of arachnophobia and you don't want your kids to, try not to show them that too. Because they won't innately be afraid of these things. We think that things like arachnophobia are more of a cultural fear than an innate fear. Um, which may or may not be true, but I like, with my kids, I like to point things out and tell them something interesting about that, which I understand is not entomologist. It, you know, a non-entomologist can't do that as much, but you can point out a spider and not say, oh, it's gross or scary. Just be like, look at that spider. Isn't it cool? It's in a web or, you know, whatever else. And I think that helps people to just, just don't show that you're scared of these things. And I think kids pick up on that um, pretty easily. The other thing I want to note before we go is please no one should ever try to use fire to get rid of spiders. It happens so often. People are like, well, or like they see a spider in their car and they wreck their car. Um, the spiders are just not that scary. Please don't burn them with fire. Uh, you will burn your house down. Yes, or the stories where they have ticks on them and they try to yeah, burn those ticks. Yeah, don't do that either. Yeah, you can go on the internet and find all kinds of good news stories about people blowing up their houses and, and stuff. Um, and going back to kind of the arachnophobia with kids and stuff. Some of the stuff I've read is um, jumping spiders are kind of good spiders to kind of show kids because they have those real big, two big eyes. Um, oh, and they're yeah. Kind of curious, and, and they're kind of a little more animated, and a lot of them have bright colors. Um, oh, so yeah. it's kind of, a, kind of your gateway spider, so to speak. It is, and they are so charismatic, and they're the only spider that will turn its head and look at you. Um, and they're fluffy. And I think they're a good one to introduce kids to because they look kind of cuddly. Um, the other thing I've done with my kids is if we have like a really big orb weaver in a web, because the webs, those big orb weavers, they have big webs and they catch stuff in the webs. And so you can very easily show your kids like, hey, look, she's in the web. Let's see what she ate today. And so we did a lot of that with one of the spiders that was on our deck this fall. Is every day we'd go out and see what the spider was catching. Um, 
And that reframes it as kind of an interesting thing that's catching other bugs rather than something scary. And so that's another just activity when you see a really large web with a big spider in it, just go out and look and show your kids that and look through the web and say, oh, look, she's catching flies today or whatever, you know, it might be. Well, I think that is a, a wonderful approach in terms of fear as adults. A lot of time begins when we are children. I remember being three years old and going on the Universal Studios ride at Disneyland and Jaws popped out of the water. And you know what? To this day, I'll be standing swimming pool, fresh water, middle of the Illinois, and I think the deep end, Jaws could be down there. So, yeah, it, it just sticks with you. So trying to convert these folks to not teach their kids to be afraid of insects, spiders, all arachnids, all of the spineless creatures on this world. Yes. Well, that was a lot of great information. Dr. Casey Athey, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure learning all about spiders with you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. All right. The Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson, and it is edited by me, Chris Enroth. As always, our intrepid co-hosts that are here every single week, Katie Parker and Ken Johnson. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for all the information, Casey, and thank you, Chris and Ken. Yes, thank you, Casey, and, and Chris and Katie. Let's do it again next week. And yes, we shall do this once again next week. We are going to have a hostful episode. It will be Ken, Katie, and myself talking about spooky plants. So we cannot wait to dive into that topic with you folks. And as always, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening and keep on growing. <laughs>